In a long-term event or in a massive mass casualty setting, you may be the end of the line medically for the foreseeable future. And to be effective, you got to change your mindset from that of normal times. When disaster strikes, will you be prepared? This is Prepping 2.0 with authors and prepping experts, Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Online at prepping2-0.com. Get ready. Prepping 2.0 coming in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone. This is Shelby Gallagher over here at Prepping 2.0, joined by my co-host on the show and co-host in life, Glenn Tate. Well, hello, everybody. Medical preps are often overlooked, and so are nuclear preps. We now have to worry about this, unlike in the relatively freewheeling, happy-go-lucky past. Uh, We have two real live medical experts with us today, and what they have to say will certainly be worth your time. So have you noticed there's some things coming across the headlines these days about huge fires at food distribution centers? Is it making you a little nervous? Yeah, quite a coincidence. I think there have been about 20 since the beginning of the year. That's really odd. That is really odd. So here's one way to kind of bypass and uh, set your heart away from worry on that. Check out Numana Foods. We are um, great fans of them. You can find them over at prepping2-0.com. Click on friends and affiliates. You'll find a coupon code there. Numana Foods deals in direct to your door uh big huge large quantities of freeze-dried food so if these fires are going to continue in mysterious fashion don't need to worry too much about it your stores are going to be in your cupboard not in a warehouse other thing i want to mention folks we have a picnic palooza in Missoula coming up here really soon if it's got palooza in the name it's got to be fun it's going to be fun so set aside if you're going to be in the kind of the pacific northwest montana area in july saturday july 30th at the fort Missoula state park at the bella vista pavilion we're going to have a ton of fun also want to just point you in the direction of patreon if you are a patreon supporter or have ever thought about being i am doing a track called prepping for kids and prepping for teens i am reading through some pieces of really good literature that focus on that help kids think about being self-sufficient and having a prepping mindset for the little ones we're doing little house in the big woods right now and for the older kids we're doing island of the blue dolphins which i love well let's get into it Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy are a doctor and nurse, respectively. They are prepper authors, YouTubers, and podcasters. You can find links to all their stuff at doomandbloom.net. Welcome to Prepping 2.0, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Hey. We're so glad to be here. And be back, actually. Be back. That's right. Exactly. That's right. It was March 4th, 2020, when we had you on last, and we were all getting ready for this mysterious thing that didn't even have a nickname yet. It wasn't even coronavirus. We were all calling it the Kung Fu Flu back then. And you guys were telling the story about scraping together all kinds of medical supplies because you have a, a medical supply store. So tell us quickly that story. Well, <laughs> well, our first uh, <clears throat> our first article about the COVID virus was we, was called a new pneumonia. And at that time, I, we reported on 60 cases of this strange new pneumonia that had popped up in Wuhan, China. And nobody had died of it or anything like that. But, and what was the date that you that was published that? January 7th, yeah. 2020. Two months before we spoke, Joe was already writing about this. But I knew as soon as it was coming, I'd say about the third week of January, we were actually on a vacation in Key West. <laughs> which wow. is the best time the best time to go but we good, good spent most of the vacation at the computers and joe was writing and researching and we had the televisions on and reading all the news um, articles and we knew that this was probably already in this country and so we were feverishly trying to get out information um i i think we did at least one podcast there we wrote mm-hmm. tons of articles and we were just letting right. people know hey get ready you know calling the family and the friends and saying oh, i'm texting my kids feverishly right. one's in chicago one's in brooklyn i'm thinking right. well that's a really those are really bad places to be yeah. if there's shortages of food right. so i i had everybody go to the grocery store and just fill up as much space as they could under beds and closets i said i don't care where you have to put it just get it um, but I was also doing that. I knew that the supply, most of our, sadly, I'm going to say sadly, most of our medical supplies 
in this country are made in China. They just are. It's a fact that all the hospitals, whenever you go to the emergency room, whenever you have anything done, if they open up a gauze package or a Band-Aid or a, a Betadine wipe, it's all from China. And so I knew. Interestingly enough, it's from Wuhan, China, a lot of it. Yes, oh, yes. Okay. So wow. yeah. at, at, that's where a lot of the, the medical supply manufacturers are circled around that area specifically. So those were all being shut down. And I said, oh, this is just awful. Whatever we have in this country is going to go down quick. So I was ordering cases and cases of is wh whatever I could get my hands on, knowing that you soon that I wouldn't be able to. And that happened. It's happened several times in the past two years. It's happening now, right now, still, because yeah, they have lost. more lockdowns. The supply chains have been bad. And so, you know, I'll, I'll go on to order things and things that I could get easily two days earlier. Suddenly I can't order at all. It says not available. And so I don't know from day to day what I could get. And so it was, it's, it's been tough scary. to keep things going. Very scary. Yeah. Yeah, it was a scary time for all of us. Well, let me ask you guys an open-ended question. Are medical preps often overlooked? Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad you asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you that uh, we exist in a world that where violence in the streets, mass shootings, outbreaks of pandemic disease, now the threat of some maniac with, you know, nuclear bombs. Well, this world is just part and parcel of Wait, and that's just what happened yesterday. Yeah, and this is <laughs> right. our civilized right. this is our civilized but very honestly uncivil society. I mean, we've really taken for granted the almost immediate availability of all these highly trained medical professionals to deal with emergencies. And you know, these heroes arrive within minutes in vehicles carrying the best equipment modern technology has to offer. Yep. Uh, we expect the rescue helicopter to appear over the horizon whenever it's called. This kind of access to medical care, I mean, it's a reality, but it's a miracle, honestly. One, And if our ancestors could see the advancements that we've made in medicine and, and especially pre-hospital care and getting people to where they can be treated for injuries. I mean, this Quickly. is yeah, not in civilian and military settings. I mean, they would have looked at this with as if it was magic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, there is exceptions. You may not get modern medical care in a remote homestead right away or an ocean voyage or wilderness hike. And maybe you can say the same for urban areas in some underdeveloped countries. But the truth of the matter is that we have this huge, huge medical system that's ready to deal with just about every kind of situation. The thing is, though, is that a medical emergency rarely occurs right in front of a doctor or a nurse or unless other trained personnel, right? Unless, then it does occur in front of a nurse or a Some doctor. Some exceptions. <laughs> so the average family member or bystander, maybe is they're often the person who with some rapid action can make the difference between life and death. I mean, you may not have considered this a possibility, but it happens every day, motor vehicle accidents, heart attacks, industrial mishaps, falls, all sorts of stuff can happen where the average person is just, the person there and they have to deal with these situations and, and even in a situation where there is an actual disaster or an epidemic or a pandemic i mean the situation is more dire i mean you have multiple casualties you have a medical system probably overwhelmed and understaffed and that's what occurred in a lot of urban areas during the worst part of the covid pandemic and the truth is and what's happening today in ukraine you might find there's just no higher medical resource available than yourself. And so let me say that again, in a long-term event or in a massive mass casualty setting, you may be the end of the line medically for the foreseeable future. And to be effective, you got to change your mindset from that of normal times. I, I will think I will say one thing about Ukraine is that those people believed uh, most of them up until the last minute that this was not going to happen. They were in complete denial. These people are in such shock that this happened. And so they didn't prepare for this. They didn't what you, the advice that you're giving, you know, to learn medical um, techniques mm, and, right. and first aid and to have some supplies, not 
entire field hospital supplies, but some that you could take care of your family and your right. friends, at least if needed. They didn't think about this. They were so unprepared. I guarantee you it's, it was a rare person that even had a go bag and those people had to go. Right. I mean, they had to pick up with their children and get out of the houses ASAP flooding the streets and, and even walking to train station, what, 40 miles, some of them, right? because the cars were clogged up. It, it was unthinkable to them. And I think it's unthinkable for us here in this country. And I think it was a little bit of a wake up with the pandemic, but also now you're seeing this Ukrainian horrific scenario play on our televisions <clears throat> with what these people deem we're just normal people we're average people we have kids and families and we go to work and it's happening to them and you just don't know when something like that's going to happen to us so i just think it's smart to be prepared so what's the goal for the average person right in that situation when when some emergency occurs okay i'm, I'm a member of the wilderness medical society so let's even use a, the standard objectives the standard goals if you were in wilderness medicine or disaster medicine, they include rapid evalu rapidly evaluating any injured or ill individuals, stabilizing their condition and transporting them to the nearest modern medical facility. It makes perfect sense, right? I mean, you're not a doctor or a paramedic. Somewhere there are facilities that have a lot more technology than you have in your backpack or in the medicine cabinet. Your priority is to get your loved one out of immediate danger, ship them off to somebody who has the skills and materials to treat them. And that's great. The patient gets better care. You continue on your wilderness adventure or increase your own chances of surviving the disaster. But the truth of the matter is it's a luxury. You have the luxury of passing the buck to people who have more knowledge, technologies, and supplies. But one day there may come a time when there's some act of God, a, pand a serious pandemic with not with a 1% death rate, but with a 10% death rate, civil unrest, terrorism, heck war, uh, now I have to add that in may lead to a situation where the miracle of modern medicine is just not going to be available. And indeed, not just available, but there's a circumstance so extreme that the potential for access to modern medical facilities no longer exists, period, for the foreseeable future. And so and if you think about it, in a total collapse, you're going to have so much more risk for injuries and illness than just on a hike in the woods and a lot less hope of rescue. So it's it's not just the aftermath of a hurricane or a tornado where maybe your access to power is delayed for a few days. Help is not coming at all. You've become the point, you, the average citizen, have become the point where the buck stops. And this kind of thinking was actually considered pretty paranoid. As a matter of fact, when we talk to people, they, a lot of people feel that way still. Yeah, you know, you mentioned, uh, actually Nurse Amy mentioned, one of the reasons that uh, medical preps seem to be overlooked is, and using the Ukrainian example, that it was unthinkable that this could happen. And that's one of the reasons people didn't really start with medical preps. And that makes a lot of sense. I think the same applies in America. It's just unthinkable that there wouldn't be amazing medical care available. I have a theory, and I'm curious what you guys think about it. A second reason why medical preps are often overlooked is that to a lot of people, this topic seems too complicated. It's too scientific. You need to go to medical school or nursing school to even be minimally competent and to even sort of enter the field of treating people medically. You have to have all this advanced training and knowledge and equipment. What do you say to that? Because I think that's holding a lot of people back from even starting to learn basic medical stuff. It's just too complicated. It's literally brain surgery, right? Well, everything, well, Brain surgery is part of it, but the truth of the matter is, is 90 percent of the emergency situations that you're going to encounter in disasters can be dealt with by a individual with some supplies, some knowledge and done successfully. So I really believe that. And for that reason, I've always written in such a fashion that someone who passed fifth grade can understand it. I try to break down the medical ease into normal human speak. <laughs> and, and and I always try to figure out strategies that will allow people to get access to some of the materials that they need. Of course, some of the materials are available now. Uh, you can get tourniquets, you can get uh, all sorts of dressings, burn dressings, things like that. Uh, you can also get 
um, things that were at one point only available to the military. So the tourniquets you were talking about, the military style mm-hmm. are, are now for sale. It's, it's what I put in my kits and the, the specialized hemostatic dressings, which just is a, a gauze with, you know, some kind of product in it that stops on the field, the battlefield, severe hemorrhaging can be now obtained by the average person. It's, it's also what I use. But it, so now these things are not unavailable. They are available and people do need to think about that. And, and it's not rocket science or brain science huh. to know how to pack, <laughs> how to pack a wound properly with re- either regular gauze or the specialized gauze that's a, more expensive, of course. It, it's just a matter of, of how you put it in where you're you're pre- pushing and putting the pressure on when you're packing it in there and you can be as successful as the guy on the battlefield who had some first aid training also so we teach just as successful right. and so we teach in plain english and when we <clears throat> teach we actually teach not just the mechanics of packing a wound just not not just the mechanic mechanics of throwing a stitch for example but we teach people the judgment as to when something should be done and when something should not be done. Right. What the options are, how to pick from the options and how to do it safely and how to do things safely. Exactly. And or with the best with the best chance of success. Exactly. And the least amount of harm to the to the patient. Absolutely. So, So let me so let me jump in and ask you this, too. I'm listening to this going. Um. Oh, my gosh. So there's, you know, wound packing. There's um this and there's that. Um. If you had uh, someone who's new to this sitting in front of you, what are some medical, let's say like top five medical preps listeners can and should do right now without going, oh my gosh, I need to know how to do brain surgery. I need to know how to pack a wound. I need to know how to do, I need to do, and without getting that overwhelmed that we get, what are like, let's break it down in like the top five, let's just say. So well, the, what we should skills, do is, she wants to know the skills that the they skills should learn. The skills or the supplies? Yes. Because those are two different yes. things. <laughs> yes, to both. Okay, all right. Okay, I got you. Right. We want to both. Uh, all right. So basically, there are a lot of different skills that are going to be useful to to learn, and you, you have to deal with a, a lot of different issues. And it, the issues may be different depending on where you are. For example, if you're in a tropical region, you may have to deal with hyperthermia, high heat stroke. If you live in Minnesota or in Canada, you might need to know how to deal with hypothermia maybe more than someone who lives in Brazil. So so learning the things that you need to learn would depend on what is the most common thing that can occur in an area and what are you most concerned about? If you're concerned about nuclear war or civil unrest, well, your concerns should center around dealing with trauma and you should wind up learning how to deal with wounds, uh, orthopedic injuries, open wounds, bleeding. These are some of the things that would be very important for you to know. And so you would and need how to, to clean the wound. How to clean, right, and, right. And, and the thing is, well, all about unlike, wound care. and unlike normal times where all you, you'd only need to know how to stop the bleeding until the ambulance gets there, you need to know what to do from the beginning of that injury to the the full recovery. Right. Yeah. And that's, yeah. and that's the difference between what we teach and what everybody and what normal emergency medicine teaches. And so you would need, uh, if you want some supplies uh, you, uh, for, for trauma, you would want tourniquets, you would want uh, bandaging, uh, you want, uh, actually you want dressings and bandaging. Dressings actually go right on the wound and bandaging goes around to secure. Uh, then you want uh, to have uh, splints for orthopedic injuries, I think would be a an important thing to have antiseptics, of course, for open wounds. Exactly. You want to have all these things. You want to have skills too. You want to have the ability to recognize when a wound is getting infected. Uh, An infected wound will look red. It'll look slightly swollen, shiny. Um, It will have a tendency to have that redness and warmth to the area. And that will spread in somebody who's getting, who's having a worse infection. It's getting worse rather than better. And a matter of fact, that's why I always tell people they should always have a Sharpie so that they can outline the level of um, 
redness that occurs in a wound or an infection so that they can identify whether that's going away by shrinking or whether it's expanding and heading right. towards the Getting torso right. and mm-hmm. possibly becoming life-threatening. So <laughs> see, there's some of the things that are very important. Of course, for infections, you want to have antibiotics. And uh, I'm the original guy who wrote about uh, the use of fish antibiotics many years ago. We actually raised Which tilapia. Which are not really for fish. They're human antibiotics. Well, well they actually, Bottled in that, a that, fish bottle. That they actually, <laughs> yeah, that where we, where we discussed how they were actually human antibiotics just distributed in fish antibiotic bottles. Bottles, right. With, right. A different, with a new label on it. Right. And we've talked about that, I think, on your show last time. Yes. Um, yep. <laughs> and so, so there's that. And the, the important thing about that is that Unlike if you have a sympathetic physician, you might be able to get a prescription for, you know, some antibiotics. But if you're going to be the medic for a survival community, you need about 500 Hmm. amoxicillin. You need about 300 doxycycline. You need I mean, you need to be able to get these in mass quantities. And this is a way to get them in mass quantities without uh, necessarily a prescription. And so we're also uh, in in the genre of infections. You need to know what you're dealing with before you figure out what to treat. And that's a pretty big subject. We do have a, a book. I'm not pushing our book. No, here, it's quite all right. Listeners the, want to know they, where they, oh, they want to know. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's hard to get that kind of information. I, I think it's a pretty unique book. Um, Alton's infectious. All those antibiotics, antibiotics, infectious disease, the layman's guide to available antibacterials in austere times. He's got it memorized. <laughs> Well, very I hope good. So. <laughs> well, we have um, about one more minute. So, yeah, just so you know, to give you the lineup, there are about a couple actually, but just to let you know, yeah. And I just okay. wanted, now that we've had a, uh, a an appropriate interruption, I wanted to let folks know that in the book title, Alton is A L T O N, A L T O N. So, when you're searching for it, that's the place to look for it. I imagine you could get it at doomandbloom.net which oh, yeah. be a handy place absolutely. to go. Right. <laughs> absolutely. You can also find it on Amazon. Yeah, it's on Amazon. But if you want a signed copy, we usually sign copies of books that are ordered through our store. So if you want a signed copy, you can get it from us. Very good. So you have about a minute. So yeah, what do you want to give us one more thing before we go into a break? Um, so we talked about um, injuries, traumatic injuries, orthopedic injuries. Uh, infections. We talked about infections. Um, and then, you know, you've got your your little uh, burns, I'd say with burns, but that's part of trauma, too. So burns, I guess, would be included. Well, I think you need your to broken also, bones and the trauma. One thing is that you're going to have a lot of people if truly a, something knocks us off the grid and back to the 19th century uh, medically. Well, you're going to have people that are going to be out in the open out, outdoors a lot more than they were before. And you're going to wind up having some anaphylactic reactions. And yeah. So, That's why I always say to people to always ask your doctor whether you need it or not at the moment to get an EpiPen or some kind of auto injector. I think that is really important. And a recent study showed that these things actually still retain some of their effectiveness, even three years uh, expired. Okay, so so I'm going to stop you right there because we'll have to. I want to hear more about that after the break, but really quick, I want to give a great shout out to some of our great friends and affiliates over at U.S. Law. Um, Great friends and affiliates there. Jared Savick, you can find him at redstate-realtor.com, Backwoods Home Magazine, My Kind CBD, love them, and EMP Shield. All coupon codes are listed at the friends and affiliates page of our website, prepping2-0.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back after the break. More Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher is coming right up. Hear all our previous shows free online at prepping2-0.com. You are only as safe as your gear. Rely on TAC Niner, premium tactical survival gear. Visit TAC Niner on Amazon. It's spelled T-A-C, the digit nine E-R. Tactical gloves, lights, poles, trenching, and more. See the full line. Visit TAC Niner on Amazon. Gear up and save money when you mention Glenn and Shelby. Use the code TAC9RP20 at checkout and save 20% on tactical gloves. TAC Niner, premium, high-performance survival gear that is built to last. 
Abe Lincoln here. In 1773, patriots broke the chains of British tyranny by throwing tea into Boston Harbor. On that day, Americans began drinking coffee. We celebrate that event daily here at Minutemen Coffee. All men are created equal. <laughs> coffee is not. Minutemen Coffee is roasted to perfection in small batches. Bold, smooth, and never bitter. Shipped to you fresh daily. Whole bean, ground, or our patented pods. www.minutemencoffee.com Shelby Gallagher here. We found that you need to layer your food preps. Yeah, this is Glenn Tate here. A lot of times the hardest part of layering is the long-term foods. We love Numana foods, which have a 25-year shelf life and are non-GMO. Also, organic meals are available. Numana comes in family-style portions and in bulk. This is not backpacking food. It's family meals that last for at least 25 years. The perfect freeze-dried part of your food layering. You can get a sample of Numana meals for $19.95 and see for yourself. You will be amazed. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount by entering the code PREP. Go to Numana.com or click the link on the Prepping 2.0 website. Give it a try. Numana.com. That is N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. When the grid goes down, darkness will descend fast. Used to be there was nothing you could do about an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, or CME, coronal mass ejection. Now you can protect your electronics, protect your family, thanks to EMP Shield. EMP Shield invented a simple to install device that prevents whatever's connected to it from frying in an EMP or CME, and it costs just a few hundred dollars. EMP Shield has been tested by independent laboratories and passed muster with the government, which has ordered lots of them. Google EMP Shield and see for yourself and save some money. Get a $50 discount per device. Go to prepping2-o.com. Click on the Friends and Affiliates page, then click on the EMP Shield logo. At checkout, use coupon code PREPPING2.0. It's all one word. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Looking to meet other like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own prepper group? Already have a group? Join PrepperNet.com. PrepperNet has gathered the biggest names in the industry to help unite preppers everywhere. Join John Jacob Schmidt, Scott Hunt, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, Glenn Tate, Shelby Gallagher, Charlie Hogwood, Samuel Culper, Survivor Jane, Rick Austin, Franklin Horton, Ryan Mitchell, and Brian Duff. Our team is united. Check us out at PrepperNet.com. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. PrepperNet.com. Prepping 2.0 is about that next level of prepping. One of the key 2.0 items to have is bulletproof body armor plates. I used to think body armor was too tactical for a regular guy like me, but it isn't. Give yourself, your family, and your team an unfair advantage when bullets are flying. Body armor used to be expensive and hard to get. Not anymore. KD Armor, and that stands for come and take it, makes solid and affordable body armor for normal people. Get body armor while you can. The clowns in Congress are trying to prohibit future sales. KD Armor is the place to get it. C-A-T-I-Armor.com. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount when you use the coupon code GRANT. Now, more of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Welcome back, everyone. Want to say thanks to our guests for joining us, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. They're going to tell us more about EpiPens and how important they are and nuclear threats. But first, I have to come to you and I have to admit I have an addiction. And how appropriate, given that we have medical staff on the call with us right now. So help us what this. is your addiction? Because you need medical treatment for this. No, I don't. <laughs> I'm going to keep my addiction because it's to Minutemen Coffee, and I love their coffee. They are the exclusive roasters of I Miss America blend of coffee. If you haven't had it, you're missing out. I am just fine. Nobody, I'm, you can call it denial. I can call it pure joy. I love my addiction to Minutemen Coffee. You can find them at our website. And that's what every addict says. So we are <laughs> we are very proud affiliates of the Firearms Radio Network. And every week we spotlight one of the 28 podcasts they have on Firearms Radio Network, which is firearmsradio.net. And this week's spotlight is on Gun Guy Radio. As the name implies, it's a gun guy talking to other gun guys. And by the way, Guy, since Shelby and I come from the West Coast, we're now in Montana, but we're from the West Coast where we yes, learned how dude. to speak. Yeah, Guy, 
is it refers to male and female. So gun guy radio is is a male and female thing. We're not saying that for political it's correctness. It's not gun persons? No, we're not saying that for political correctness purposes. We're saying that for, to be accurate. Oh. Yeah, okay. accuracy is important. So anyway, Gun Guy Radio on Firearms Radio Network. Check them out. They have a button where you can subscribe to all their podcasts on whatever uh, format, whatever platform you like, like iTunes or whatever. Good stuff on there. So, Shelby, why don't you ask our next question? Dr. Bones, we had to cut you off a little bit on the whole EpiPen issue. And I know that's a concern for a lot of preppers. If you have an allergy, if you have something where you need something like that, and you were starting to talk about how EpiPens don't have the expiration date that some people think. And I wanted you to give you a chance to kind of finish that thought. I think that it's very important for people to realize that when they're outdoors and people you're going to have a, in your survival group, you're going to have a bunch of people who have not spent the majority of their life outdoors. And so they're going to be encounter all sorts of different things that can be allergens. It could, could be hay fever, it could be a food allergy, you know, something they've never eaten before, weird insects that may sting them, uh, latex allergies, even if you, if you have become the medic and you uh, have never been and you put on a first pair of latex gloves, you can actually have an allergy. And also, of course, new drugs, a lot of people, their drugs run out and they find something that will work, but it's not what they used to take. They can have a drug allergy. So these things happen. And so what you'll see in people who have a severe drug allergy or or a severe allergy, uh, also called anaphylaxis, you'll see things like rashes. Now you can see rashes in somebody, a local rash in somebody who's got a little bit of allergic reaction, but rashes in anaphylaxis will oftentimes be at sites not associated with the actual exposure. So if you're allergic to um, a bee sting and you might, if you have a, a mild allergy, you might have a little, a little redness and a little swelling at the site of the bee sting. Actually, if you, you may have that just because of the toxins from the bee, but if you have an alert, uh, anaphylactic reaction, you may have a bee sting and you may wind up having a swollen lip or you may have hives on your legs, you know, even if you had were stung on your hand. So these are the types of things you'll see. You can see a whole body rash, as a matter of fact. People, these people have swelling and they'll also have what we call systemic effects. In other words, things that are throughout their internal part of their body, things like difficulty breathing, they may have uh, nausea and vomiting, they can have strange sensations, uh, nerve, nerve issues like uh, pins and needles or or things like that. This happens a lot with food allergies. And, and of course, they having these things, they're going to be freaked out. So they're going to be anxious. It may, in the worst cases, as they start getting less oxygen because of difficulty breathing, they may start having altered mental status and can possibly go into shock. That's why it's so important to have some kind of auto injector, some kind of source of epinephrine. And epinephrine in and of itself, the easiest way is with an auto injector. There's a way that I explain in our book, the Survival Medicine Handbook, uh, of how to use it from vials that uh, vials of epinephrine that is actually pretty easy. Um, and uh, the, the other thing that you can do, believe it or not, is uh, and this was off the market for a while was primate is primatine mist. Primatine mist is epinephrine also, and it's something that may actually have an effect. You just it, it's a nasal spray and it may have, it may have an effect, not a bad idea to have some of that available. See, this is what you learn when you have Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy on the show. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff you learn. And for some reason, Amazon is going to see a spike in Primatine exactly. Mist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe. Well, another topic we wanted to raise and is, is nuclear war preparedness. And I have to preface it by saying this. I've never paid much attention to radiological events as an event to prep for. And the reason has been, past tense, has been that there really wasn't a threat of it because with the mutual assured destruction uh, doctrine, it was unthinkable for there to be a nuclear exchange between the United States and Russia, for example. I remember when early on in in my prepping journey, I was talking to a guy and he was really keyed up on getting a dosimeter, which measures radiation. He's like, where do I get a dosimeter? And I thought, 
you're a lunatic to be worried about <laughs> radiological stuff, right? It just so seems who's the lunatic now, huh? Yeah, exactly. We're all yeah. lunatics. We, we now. have we have one. Actually, I have two. Yeah, <laughs> we have an old time. I have a backup gar- too. Geiger counter. Too, yes, we do. As a matter of fact, we actually got one as a gift. It tells you what people think about us, right? I mean, we're the kind <laughs> oh, of yeah. People. His yeah. son gave us gas masks for Christmas one year. Yeah, exactly. Nice. We're those kind of people. So um, why don't you tell us about, I mean, what what the health effects of and medical effects of nuclear war are? Because we were we were talking before the show and you told me some stuff that was stuff I didn't know. And that really changed my perspective on the survivability of uh, of a nuclear exchange. So it's a wide open topic. Take it away, please. All right. I'm going to talk a little bit just to maybe talk a little bit about terminology and stuff like that. Very hopefully try to keep it relatively easy, easy to understand. Uh, you have to understand, of course, there are certain authoritarian regimes and it stands to reason that the risk of an attack by a nuclear capable nation is going to include possibly the detonation of a thermonuclear bomb. Weapons of mass destruction. These are things that are all over the place. I mean, in Russia, for example, there are probably 6,000 or more nuclear weapons that are available for their use. And, and in the past, as you mentioned, you mentioned, uh, Glenn, uh, mutually assured destruction, that was once the big issue. Now, the most likely scenario these days in 2022 involves not massive uh, bombs, so not uh, ones that destroy like entire huge areas, but smaller, smaller yields. The damage caused by a nuclear bomb is related to its yield. And that's the amount of energy that's produced. And they produce and they measure it in multiples of a thousand tons of TNT. That's called a kiloton. The Hiroshima bomb in 1945 had a yield of about 15 kilotons. Now, just 16 years later, the Soviet Union developed and detonated a 51,000 kiloton weapon. That's 51 million tons of TNT. Now, I think you equivalent. told me when they set that off mm-hmm. in, where would you say, Siberia? In Siberia. That glass windows in Finland broke. Yeah, fractured a, bu- a broke a bunch of wow. glass windows. That far Finland. away. That's right. That was hundreds of miles away. Now, most modern warheads are in the 100 to 500 kiloton range. So much stronger than Hiroshima, much less stronger than this 51 million ton bomb and that's because and the reason why they don't make everything a just big giant hugely massive bomb is because these bombs are meant to be fired at a a city in clusters that are harder to intercept than a single bomb so what's going to happen is they're going to fire 20 nuclear weapons at New York City, so that's or like a at Chicago, or it's like a buckshot of, right. n- of right. nuclear bombs, right? And there's only so many that we'll be able to stop, to right. and some of them will get through. Exactly. Oh boy. Now, but in 2022, things are changing a little bit. The most likely scenario for, let's say, Vladimir Putin involves not using his biggest bombs, but surgical strikes using what we call tactical nuclear weapons or tacks. Tacks are several times weaker than even than the Hiroshima bomb. And what the problem is in the mind of some despots, this makes the prospect of a limited nuclear confrontation now a viable option. And that is scary as heck. And there's even new technology called dial yield, which allows the military to adjust the strength of a particular warhead so that it detonates either, uh, for example, the yield of US's uh, B-61 nuclear bomb can be 0.3 kilotons, as low as 0.3 kilotons, 1.5, 1.5, could be 10, could be 50 kilotons. So you have to realize that this is now much more of an option for people, for some of these nutballs that are actually uh, head up uh, nuclear powers. Yeah, U.S. government uh, estimates for the distribution of damage from a nuclear bomb, and this is important to understand the medical aspect of this, of it is going to be kinetic energy from shockwave. 35% is going to be thermal energy from heat. 5% is going to be an initial blast radiation, a massive dose within seconds. And then 10% will be dispersed radiation down the line. In other words, fallout. We'll talk about that. 
So the damage is usually circular, but of course, if the, if the city has a mountain next to it, it may give it a different shape, or uh, if there are prevailing winds, the, the uh, pattern might be a keyhole type of shape as the, in, with the keyhole pointing towards wherever the, uh, the uh, prevailing winds takes it. And there's two major types of kinetic pressure that's going to be a problem for the medic, and that's overpressure. I mean, of kinetic energy, it's going to be a problem. That's overpressure. Overpressure measures is an increase in the amount of atmospheric pressure that occurs at a detonation over environmental norms. And what that means is that and they do it in PSI and uh, it, uh, pounds per square inch. It's sort of like a pressure cooker. And the second thing is wind effects measured in miles per hour. Now, at a threshold of about five PSI, the, that ruptures your eardrums. And at 20 PSI, it bursts your lungs. And that's what the thermobaric weapons that you may have heard Russia boast about, that's what they can do. Now, with the nuclear bomb, it not only does that, which is pretty, pretty bad. Oh, and by the way, overpressure, we actually are, are better at dealing with overpressure than our buildings. At 20 PSI, all solidly concrete buildings will collapse or are severely damaged. And survival is obviously very unlikely for anybody that's that's there. And even at five PSI, you're, rupture, you're just rupturing your eardrums, but many buildings are collapsing or are severely damaged. And the deaths from that, from, from being thrown against buildings and are, are things collapsing on you, you know, cause massive, massive amounts of, of um, casualties. The blast winds for something that's at 20 PSI that reaches several hundred miles an hour and that causes its own damage. And this is just in a, a 10 kiloton blast. So anybody within a half mile of ground zero is not going to survive. And thermal damage is then the next thing you have to understand. Thermal damage, um, those people that are going to be outside, maybe at, at the time we're going to get fatal third degree, burn, degree burns if they're within a mile radius of ground zero and less so. And the, the, the problem with this is in the center of a large city, if this happened in New York, for example, that would amount to hundreds of thousands of people killed in the fireball, but around it in, in a 20 mile radius, it probably amount to hundreds of thousands of other people that need medical care for burns. From the burns, yep. They need a burn unit. Now, the interesting <laughs> thing about that is that there are a grand total of 2,000 burn beds in the entire United States, burn unit beds. So we would be absolutely unable to function or to be able to deal with almost everybody that wound up with these kinds of issues. Well, especially if it's a major city, because think yeah. about how many burn beds are probably in New York City. So you're already you're taking out some of those also. Oh, yeah. And you're taking hospitals. out and you're taking and most medical personnel live in large cities. Right. And so you're taking out 80% or more of the physicians and the nurses mm -hmm. and the EMTs. And so you got a problem there. And, and yeah. we haven't even talked yet about radiation. Radiation damage occurs from the initial blast. If you are close enough to the initial blast, you will die from heart failure and other, other issues very soon, right after getting that initial radiation dose. Now uh, in ground detonations, now that in, you don't have a lot of fallout from air detonations, but when you hit the ground, when the ground is where the bomb explodes, you get all these millions of tons of earth vaporized, irradiated, and they rise with the fireball. And that's what we call the mushroom cloud. That's what the mushroom mm. cloud is. And the radioactive debris falls back to earth as fallout. So an area about, if, if it was a 10 kiloton explosion, an area about 10 miles downwind would be in the path of enough fallout to present an immediate danger to your life. And the risk is worse in the first several hours. So that's actually sort of a good thing because if you have taken, you're, you're in trouble if you haven't taken shelter, but if you have taken shelter and you can stay in a shelter, especially prefer, preferably an underground shelter, then you would have the ability within about eight hours, that radiation level is down to about a 10th. And then it goes down even more and more and more as time goes on. And that's the fact I didn't know. I just assumed that fallout would be with us 
for thousands of years. And I should have remembered my high school science class, which is all the scientific training I have, by the way. So I don't want to brag, but I did graduate from high school. Public school to boot. Public school too. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> where English grammar was an elective, by the way. And my um, one of my teachers would bum a dip uh, chewing tobacco off of students. That's the kind of school. <laughs> okay. okay. Can't even make school. that stuff up. Sounds yeah, fun. that's right. But um, <laughs> I was very surprised to learn that the radiation threat from fallout goes away relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. And that to me says that uh, being in the, in the path of nuclear fallout is much more survivable than I would have otherwise thought. And so the reason that matters isn't just some curiosity. It's like, Oh, I've learned something about nuclear fallout. I'll tuck that away in my trivial knowledge. It's, it's important because now I realize that, nuclear exchanges, radiological events, because it could be a dirty bomb too, which would be much less um, radioactivity. But anyway, it's more survivable. So it's something maybe that could be initially lived through, which then tells me that I should focus on it more as as a prep because it's actually possible. It's not instant death. That's so, right. That's yeah. right. Survi- go, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, please. Surviving a nuclear war requires a sound plan of actions if you want to prevent injuries and illness and you want to use three factors to your advantage. And that's time, distance, and the level of available protection. So I mentioned how time affects radiation, right? So you want to limit time left out in the open, certainly in the early part of uh, when the early part after the detonation, then distance, if you can increase the distance from ground zero, like I said, living in the city of a large city, not a good idea. If you survive the initial exposure, you probably would be one of the many thousands that need medical care. And uh, then there's protection. And the third way to re- increase the risk of death and injury is to have a functioning shield. And you can put together a functioning shield. Now, in the old days, people had fallout shelters. And you cannot necessarily, you may not necessarily have a fallout shelter, you might have a basement. Or you might be able to make some changes into, if you don't have a basement, to an indoor room uh, that doesn't have windows or it's closest to the center of the house, uh, you know, to decrease the risk of injuries and radiation sickness. Now, I will say that when you and I were thinking about this, that we looked up, they actually make lead sheeting. Yes. That you can buy. Right. I mean, you can buy lead sheeting that's that's different thicknesses. Right. To like this line. Like this stuff that you wear, is it like what you wear when you get an x-ray or something, that kind of sheeting? Um, I'm not sure, but I, it comes in, in big rolls. Nice. And you can line, you can line your a walls closet. You, closet can li- you can line something that's in the interior of your house or maybe underneath the stairs. You know, you can, you can line it with lead and depending on the thickness is your protection. I think you're right. Speaking of thicknesses, right. Shielding effectiveness is measured in something called having thicknesses. Now when I say half, like half H A L V I N G. And that's the thickness of a particular material that will reduce gamma radiation, the most dangerous kind by one half. When you multiply the having thicknesses, you multiply your protection. So for example, lead it's having thickness is about 0.4 inches or one centimeter for or folks in Canada and yeah, I always want to and blue that. states right? and, and in blue states yeah. <laughs> and, and the UK. But so anyhow, um, if you have one centimeter of lead lining a wall, you get exactly half the amount of radiation exposure that you would have gotten otherwise. Now you can multiply that. Uh, let's say concrete concrete's 2.4 inches or six centimeters. So if you multiplied that, if you had concrete that was 24 inches, then you would get the protection of one half times one half times one half times one half to the 10th power. And that would be 1,000, one 1,024th of the radiation. So if you had that and a packed soil is a little bit more, it's about 3.6 inches or nine centimeters, but in a, in a basement where you have a lot of packed soil around you, then you get a, a great amount of protection. So even wow. water, even, even water, or water, or water would do it too. And a, that, a water layer, seven point two inches, right? Or eight. So you're safe in a water bed. 
and wood. <laughs> yeah, if you yeah, very get very a, thick, get, thick get a, water bed, get yeah. a diving kit, and also um, wood. Even even wood, eleven wood. inches, yeah, that cuts down half of the radiation right, exposure. Right, not as not even as, some wood, not as dense, not as dense. So you know, you really would have to have a pretty thick wooden structure, you know, the, the, to be able to really get to one to one thousand twenty fourth. That's what you'd like to do. And well, that's we have. Why we, sorry we to interrupt you. We have a couple minutes before the end of the regular show. Of course, we'll continue this amazing conversation yeah. in the after show available to Patreon supporters. But I wanted to ask the question that's on the minds of a lot of listeners when it comes to nuclear preparedness. What are some medicines or supplements, if any, that people could get to help them deal with the radiation? Right. Well, potassium iodide is a classic one. And what it does, it allows you to be protected from the most common cancer that occurs from radioactive iodine, which is the most common widespread uh, radioactive material. And that prevents cancer uh, down the road. And it basically what potassium iodide does is it, let's say your thyroid is a parking lot. If you take potassium iodide, it fills the parking spaces so that the radioactive iodine from fallout can't take up the parking spaces nice. and irradiate your thyroid causing, causing cancer. Now, unfortunately, it only protects from that type of cancer. There are, are of course, other cancers that can occur as a result of significant radiation exposure. So that for that reason, that's why shielding, I think, is so, so important. Right, but also, I mean, the, I would say the same vitamins that we've all been taking, since this COVID Corona. started, mm-hmm. you know, are also things that can help you, you know, keep up with your vitamin A, lots of vitamin C, uh, vitamin E, beta carotene, um, antioxidants. a lot antioxidants are going to help your body get rid of it as right. much as it can. I mean, helps boost your immune system. So, so these, these things are, are good things to do. If, if you don't have, um, I know we don't have much time, but if you don't have potassium iodine, it's very scarce uh, right at the moment. Tincture of iodine can be painted on your skin of your forearm or your stomach. Uh, a certain amount. I, we, we discussed it's in that. an article. Yeah, it's a free article on doomandbloom.net. Right. Or bet it on. Well, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you right there because that's my next question for you before we head into the after show. You have about a minute. Tell us all the ways people can find you, get a hold of your resources, watch your videos. Well, you'll find uh, at doomabloom.net, our main website, that will have over 1,200 articles, videos, and podcasts uh, from from the last decade uh, on medical preparedness. Every aspect of it and everything uh, assumes that a disaster has occurred and you are the end of the road when it comes to your family's well-being and we our job is to make you in plain english effective in that role you can also find us amy yeah uh, our store is store.doomandbloom.net um i put together what i would call quality first aid kits someone of a kind not your walmart kit yeah i do have i have dental kits i have a nose trauma kit i have an eye trauma kit um i have in case you're on a plane in case you're on a plane with mike tyson Yes, exactly. I have a a baby delivery kit. I'm also a nurse wife, nurse practitioner. So, um, yeah, and it it includes the kit that we used when I delivered babies at the hospital. So we're going to have to we're we're going to have to cut you off unceremoniously and go into the after show. Shelby, take us out, please. Folks, as you can tell from Benjamin Franklin, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. All the information you've heard today, including all our previous shows, is online at prepping2-0.com. Find out more about Glenn's books at 299days.com and Shelby's books at agreatstate.com. Until next time, be smart, be safe, and be prepared.